before the blood. Good to see you all tonight. Although I expected to. It's Sunday. If you love God and you're able to, you go to church on Sunday. Amen? Yeah, a lot of people get mixed up. They think Sunday is the Lord's morning. No, it's the Lord's day. It's the day He set aside. And so I'm glad to see you. Now, we have services tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, so I would expect to see you on Wednesday, but tomorrow and Tuesday, we don't normally go to church on those days. We pretty much get into a pattern and a routine, and in order to come to church on a day like Monday or Tuesday, you have to come on purpose. You don't just accidentally show up at the Lord's house on a Monday night and say, wow, I wonder what's going on. No, you've got a plan to be here, and so I want to encourage you to do that. I, 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 I don't come with my Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I, I, I really don't know exactly what I'm going to preach. I, I, I pray about it, and I ask the Lord, because I, I don't know you all that well, but God knows you very well. So I ask the Lord, what, what can I preach to be a blessing? What can I preach to be a help? How many of you all have ever been in church and the message was just exactly what you needed? Let me see your hand. You Aren't you glad you weren't home that service? Yeah. So let me encourage you to be here. Now, I, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I'm just curious. How many of you, if God will let you, you'll be here tomorrow night? Oh, good. Then I'm coming. Great. Perfect. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number 30. Genesis, chapter number 30. Every now and then, I read a passage of Scripture in my devotions, and God just grabs a hold of my heart. Now, I hope that happens every day, but I'll be as honest and transparent. Not always do I get close to becoming Pentecostal reading my devotions. But when I read this passage, I'm telling you, it was, it was like I was sitting in a meeting and somebody's preaching it, and it was bam. And so I thought, this is a wonderful truth. Maybe you've seen it before. I, I never had noticed it. And so, so I, I prepared a message trying to get this across. Nothing deep about it. In fact, it's not really much of a revival message as such. I'm not going to ask you to get right or give up some horrible sin, but I think it's something that we all need. We are, by nature, sinners. Yeah, we're born that way. And if you don't believe me, just watch little children at play. And one of the predominant sins in our life, beginning when we're very, very little, is selfishness. Little children are selfish. That's mine. That's the first word they learn. Mine. Yeah. But sadly, as much as we try, we don't grow completely out of it. And so I want to preach a message tonight that, that if we'll put it into practice, it will help us to get a little bit of victory over that selfishness with which we struggle. The main character is Jacob. Jacob has stolen or tricked his brother out of his birthright and stolen his blessing. And because his brother is upset, Jacob has left home. He's gone 
far away where he uh, met his wife. And now, remember that story how that he worked seven years for Rachel? And they got married, and in the morning he discovered it was her sister. Karen has two sisters. Thank God that didn't happen to us. Mercy. You might, you don't know her sisters, but they were the, they were the character models for Cinderella's sisters. But anyway, so uh, Jacob says to Laban, his father-in-law, he goes, what's the deal, man? I worked for seven years, and, and you stick me with this one. And he said, well, that's the custom. That's how we do it around here. I forgot to mention that to you. He said, but if you'll work for me seven more years, you can have Rachel also. I'm not sure that's a great deal. I don't get this in the Bible where they have two wives or ten wives or 300 wives and 700 concubines. I can't imagine waiting to get into the bathroom for more than one. I can't imagine a whole carload telling me how to drive. <laughs> Serious, if something ever happens to me, Karen is going to become a driver's ed teacher. <laughs> She's got it down. We'll be going down the road, and she'll say, you know how fast you're going? No. <laughs> if we ever get another car, I'm getting one with a speedometer, that's for sure. Or, or there'll be a car beside her, and you know she'll see it in her peripheral vision and go. <laughs> or a car a hundred yards ahead of us, and she'll be looking down and look up. And <laughs> Karen, would you stop it? You're going to make me have a wreck. We're going to all die. And when we get to heaven, God will tell you it was your fault. <laughs> I love her. I love her with all my heart. I'm so thankful for her. But as honestly as I can say it, one is enough. <laughs> so Jacob worked another seven years for Rachel. And now he's been there with Laban, his father-in-law, for 20 years. And he's starting to feel a little homesick. Mom and dad are getting older. He hadn't seen them for 20 years. He has memories of his home where he grew up. And he says to his family, he says, it's time to leave. Let's go back. And so he says to his father-in-law, he says, you know, I've, I've worked off the debt, paid for both of my wives. I've been a, done everything you've asked me to do. We're going to go. And Laban says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go. And the reason he doesn't want him to go it's what I want to preach to you about tonight. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, would you stand with me, please? We're going to read in Genesis chapter 30, and I'll begin reading in verse number 25. Genesis 30, verse 25. And it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto my own place, and to my country, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for 
thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I found favor in, thy eye, in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. That, that's, that's what got me. Laban says, I have learned that I've been blessed because of you. You being here has helped my life. You being with me has blessed me. I have learned by experience the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. I want to preach to you tonight about the simple subject of being a blessing. Just being a blessing. Father, I thank you tonight for the, the truth that the word of God is alive. Lord, even though we've read it time after time after time, there's always something that we need and always something that's helpful. And so, God, I thank you for laying this passage on my heart, and I pray as I preach tonight that it would be helpful. Lord, I, I don't think anybody in here on purpose is selfish. I think probably most of us try to be unselfish and try to be giving and try to be a blessing. Lord, it's easy to get busy and easy to get caught up in everything that's going on. That's why I pray that this might just be a reminder to us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Jacob wanted to go home. I grew up on the very northern border of Nevada, a little town called Jackpot, Nevada. It's just south of Twin Falls, Idaho, and uh, I, when I was 17, I went off to Bible college and graduated and went into the ministry, and so I always, in my preaching, talk about Jackpot, Nevada. Well, when we were in evangelism, uh, we had opportunity to go from uh, uh, Caldwell, Idaho, down to Tucson, Arizona, and so I told Karen, I said, we're going to drive through Jackpot. This place that I have 10,000 memories. And we come over the Idaho border and start down the hill, and there's the town. And she goes, that's it? That's it? So what do you mean that's it? That's where I grew up. That's where I lived my life. How could you say that's it to her? It was nothing to me. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. One year, we went on vacation, and... Uh, we went up to, uh, into Idaho near Sun Valley to a campsite along the Big Wood River. And I told her, I said, when I was 13, I got invited to camp. And, and we didn't have cabins or anything. They just did their own camp. And we came to this campground. We set up tents. I said, if I remember right, the tables were all right here. And in my mind, I was sitting right here the night I heard the sermon and I got saved. Wow, what a sacred place that was to me. And so I'm sure that Jacob is remembering the things that he did growing up, remembering the times with his mom and with his dad. And, and Jacob now has a family and now has children, and he's ready to go home. And he says to Laban, I want to go. And Laban says, you can't. You can't. His reasons were entirely selfish. He said, I don't want you to go because I've been blessed because of you. 
Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, God's blessed me because I learned some things from you that I put into practice. No, no, he said, because of you, God has blessed me. By you being here, I've been blessed. I don't want to lose you, Jacob. I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to stay here so that I can be blessed. Do you know that you and I have the opportunity to bless others just by being there? Men, think about the privilege that you have to be a blessing to your family. Think about what God can do for your family when you get completely right with God and sold out to the Lord. When you have a home where, where Christ is magnified, where together the family pray and they, uh, you teach them the Bible and you, uh, your, your wife has that security of knowing that her husband loves God and is serving the Lord. I'm telling you, in a home like that, the entire family is blessed because of the husband. Laban said, I've learned by experience that because of you, God has blessed me. And so it's possible for you and I, just by being there, to be a blessing to others. Ladies, your home is a better home if you love God. Your, your, your family is blessed if you live for the Lord. Blessed by the answers to your prayers. Blessed by the teaching and encouragement. Blessed by a pleasant life. Blessed by the protection of God. Laban said, I have learned by experience. God has blessed me because of you. Parents, what a blessing you can be to your children. Did you ever notice as you get older, you say things that your parents said to you that you thought you would never say to your kids? I, I don't even remember what it was, but a little while ago I thought, oh no. I'm my dad. But you look back, and I didn't get to grow up in a Christian home, but my parents loved each other, and my dad had values and morals, and so we were taught to be honest, and we were taught to work hard, and we, we were taught that right is right and wrong is wrong. And so even though I didn't have the Christian foundation, I had the moral foundation, and I, and I grow up knowing that I was blessed because I had that kind of home. Parents, you can bless your children by being an example. I remember my dad always smoked. Camel, no filter. He was a man's man. And I remember one day he left his cigarettes out and I thought, I'm a man's man myself. And so I pulled out a cigarette and lit it and choked to death almost. And my mom comes in, and she said, what are you doing? Nothing. You're in trouble. 
You wait till your dad gets home. Man, my dad came home and she told him and dad was so upset. And I said, but, but you do it. And my dad said, yeah, I do. He said, but I'm not going to do it anymore, so you don't do it anymore. Man, what kind of an example do we set for our children? What kind of a, a, an environment do we provide for our children? It's easy to tell them what's right. It's easy to tell them what they should do and what they shouldn't do. But when they see it in your life, they are blessed just by the virtue that you're doing right. You know what's interesting? Jacob wasn't even completely right with God yet. Jacob still had some things in his life that weren't taken care of, but he was so much of an example compared to Laban. He was so right compared to all that Laban knew that he recognized God has blessed me because of you. Young people, you know you can be a blessing to those around you. You can be an encouragement. We have lots of young people in our church who are, I don't want to use the word better Christians, but, but I would say more faithful to the Lord than their parents. And because of their faithfulness, it's first of all a rebuke to mom and dad, but secondly, it's an encouragement. I've got to do right for the sake of my children. I've got to do right. I was the first one in my family to get saved. And I got burdened for my brothers and burdened for my parents. And, and eventually, both my brothers and my mom and dad got saved. So, so young people, you can be a blessing to others just by being there. And so that's kind of residual blessing. Folks are blessed just because of you. You know, there, there are people in Wooden Valley Baptist Church, and this church is a better place just because of them. Think about this. You, you know people better than I know people here. Uh, think about those in your church that make this place a blessing. Right now, you have several names coming to mind, several people coming to mind. Wooden Valley is blessed because of those people. Why isn't it blessed because of all of the people? Why don't we get to the place where we determine, with God's help, I am going to be a blessing. I just, on purpose, determined to be a blessing. How do you do that? Well, just stop and remember those that have been a blessing in your life. Those that have been a help to you. The town I grew up in had, at the most, 300 people. We had three gambling casinos and an elementary school, and everybody in town worked at one of the gambling casinos. My mom and dad worked at a gambling casino. But there was a Baptist preacher from Twin Falls, about 50 miles away. He would drive down on Saturdays and have, like, Bible club. Well, they always had refreshments, so I would go. And, you know, he heard the Bible stories, Daniel and the lion's den, David and Goliath. And, and I'm sure he presented the gospel, but... If he did, it didn't register with me. But when I was 13, he said, hey, we're going up to camp. Would you like to come? Well, it was toward the end of the summer. It was kind of boring. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he told me all the fun stuff. 
He said, you know, there's a river. We're going to ride inner tubes down the whitewater rapids. And he said, and one day we're hiking up across the river to, to a mountain that has a bear cave, and the bear might still be there. Well, yeah, of course I'll go. I got my best friend. I said, hey, you want to go to camp? He goes, why? What are we going to do? I said, man, we're going bear hunting. Yeah. So we went to camp. First night, they're setting up the picnic tables in a long, straight row. I said, what's going on with the tables? He said, we're getting ready for our service. Service? I came for the bear hunt. He goes, oh, there's going to be preaching every day. And I thought, oh, no. I had heard about these cults. You know, they kidnap teenagers, take them up in the mountains, brainwash them. Next thing you know, they're passing out carnations at the airport. And I said, uh, how about if you got, you know, I, I, I'm not really religious. How about if y'all just have your whatever, and I'll wait in the tent. He goes, no, 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 you have to come. Well, I didn't want to, but I didn't have any option, so I came. I'd never heard a sermon before. Never, ever heard preaching. I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons since then, but not many like this guy. He was a wild man. I mean, he read the scripture. He, he uh, uh, prayed, and then he just went crazy. He's wandering around and waving his arms. His eyes are bulging out. Spit is flying everywhere. Sucking wind as fast as he's... I'm just sitting there going... I lean over my friend. I said, man, you can't see this on TV. <laughs> Gave the invitation. He said, if you'd like to get saved, raise your hand and we'll pray for you. I'm looking around and a couple of kids raised their hand. They gave the invitation. I've never seen the invitation before, but these kids raised their hand, came forward, and some of the counselors took them into the woods. <laughs> so I asked them later, I said, hey, What's, what's going on with these kids that raise their hand? The guy asked, said to me, he goes, well, they, they went to get saved. He says, have you ever been saved? Well, I had no idea what saved was, but I figured out with this Baptist crowd, saved's a good thing. So I said, what? Yes, of course, lots of times. <laughs> well, I had a better attitude about the service, and the next night, God got hold of my heart, I, I didn't respond at the invitation, but I got under conviction, and the third night, I got saved. I'm going to say that again, because evidently I'm more excited about it than the rest of you. That night, I got saved! When I was, I was 13, I went back home, got no church, got no, didn't really know anything about Christian growth, but I knew I was saved because he was thorough with it. When I was 17, I just realized everybody I know is going to hell. And somebody ought to tell them. So I, I, I don't know if you call this being called to preach. Whatever terminology you want to use. I just prayed and I said, God, if you'll let me, I'll give you my life to keep people from going to hell. I called the man who led me to the Lord. I said, hey, what do you have to do to be a preacher? He said, why? I said, I think I'm going to be a preacher. He said, why? I said, because I don't want people to go to hell. He said, that's a pretty good reason. He said, well, you need to go to college. I said, I'm going to college. He said, no, you need to go to a college where you can learn how to preach, a Bible college. 
I said, did you go to one? He said, yes. I said, where'd you go? And he told me, and I said, okay, get me an application. And I went off to college, and by the grace of God, I made it. And when I graduated college, I started a habit. Once a month, I would write to that guy. His name is Bob Schreckenberg. I said, dear Brother Schreckenberg, I just want to thank you for telling me how to get saved. I know God can do anything, and you know there's a possibility I might have heard it at some other time, but, but if it wasn't for you, I know I wouldn't be saved today, and I wouldn't be in the ministry today. And I wrote to him every single month. He was 92 years old when he died. And I wrote to him every single month just to thank him. You know, there's somebody that had a very, very important part in you coming to know Christ. There's somebody who's been a blessing to you. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. But you just stop and think about those people in your life that had an influence spiritually that you are grateful for. Thank God for those that led you to Christ. Thank God for those that helped you to grow. Thank God for those when you started to wander away, they put an arm around you and said, I'm praying for you and I'm concerned about you and they helped you to get things right. Thank God for those that when you felt like you couldn't do anything, they encouraged you and said, don't give up. God is still going to be with you. and God can still use you. And we all look back to those in our life and we are so thankful. Look, we wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for other people who had an influence on us. Aren't you thankful for them? Just stop and remember. Stop and just reflect on what your life might have been had you not come to know that person, had they not uh, believed in you when nobody else did, had they not forgiven you when you messed up. Just remember those who've been a blessing to you and then respond in like manner. If God could use them, God could use you. I'm so thankful for the guy that led me to Christ. And every time I talk to somebody about getting saved, I tell them when I was a teenager, I got saved. Hey, you know the Lord? Then tell somebody else about Him. Respond in like manner. Be a blessing. Look for ways to encourage in your Sunday school class. You ever noticed that it's never like you thought it would be? Pastor said, hey, I want you to Pray about taking this class, third grade boys, fourth grade boys. And he said, well, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know much. He said, well, they, they know less. You'll be all right. So you pray and you study and you're, you're all excited. And you come into class and it's chaos. You feel like you're the, the, the keeper in an insane asylum. And then... 
you're trying to teach the lesson and they're punching each other and goofing around and and, and by the end of the hour you are thinking, wow, what a waste of time. These guys ought to be in jail, not Sunday school. Later that day, a mom comes up and says, man, my son loves Sunday school today. He told us all about the story you taught. And you're thinking, wow, I can't even remember the story I taught. (laughs) But somebody encouraged you along the way. Somebody helped you when you were struggling. Why don't we decide to do that to somebody else? Why don't we decide to be an encouragement and be a blessing? We, we, We can be. We should be. We can do it, we can do it with our words. Simple things like, thank you, I appreciate you, I love you. Well, just not really affectionate like that. Well, you can get over that. You never know what somebody's going through, and just a little bit of encouragement will keep them doing right, will keep them focused on things that are important. Some people, we don't know what's going on in their lives, and just a little word of encouragement is enough to make a huge difference. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, I went to the elementary school there in Jackpot, and uh, we had the, it was a three-room schoolhouse, first and second grade in one grade, and third, fourth, and fifth in another grade, sixth, seventh, and eighth in another grade. Our teacher for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade was named Mrs. Gruenhagen. Okay, when I say that word, a picture comes to your mind. You got her. <laughs> Mrs. Gruenhagen, the meanest teacher to ever ride a broom to school. Mrs. Gruenhagen was strict, she was grouchy, she was mean, but the greatest crime of all was not doing homework. If you didn't get it done, you just fill in the blanks and turn it in, because she'd be sad that you messed up, but she wouldn't be devastated that you didn't do your homework. Well, a new girl came to school. Her, mom, her dad worked at one of the ranches, and uh, her name was Patsy, and Patsy was real shy and quiet and I didn't really fit in, and one day Miss Grunhagen's collecting homework, and she looked through it, and she said, Patsy, I don't see your homework, and Patsy said, no, ma'am, and Mrs. Grunhagen threw those papers down on the desk, and she went into a tirade. She said, Patsy, I don't come here for you to ignore my instructions. I gave you homework. I expect it to be turned in. Patsy started crying, and she said, well, things were a little crazy around our house last night. Miss Grunhagen said, I don't care what's going on. Everybody has troubles. Everybody has problems. What, what happened to your house? And Patsy said, well, my grandma lives with us, and she died last night. Man, Miss Grunhagen, all the color went out of her face. And she said, we're going to have an early recess. Y'all go on out and play. Patsy, you stay in. Well, of course, we ran around to the window. (laughs) 
And inside, I could see Patsy and Mrs. Gruenhagen. They were both crying. Mrs. Gruenhagen's hugging her. Man, we got a long recess. And when it's time to come in, Mrs. Gruenhagen said, boys and girls, I want to apologize. I already apologized to Patsy. She said, I didn't know what was going on, but I acted like I did. You know, I don't remember much about sixth grade, but I'll never forget that lesson. Sometimes people are going through some real struggles and we don't even know about it. They're carrying some really heavy burdens and we're not even aware of it. But if we can just be a little bit of a blessing, if we can just speak a word of encouragement, one of my favorite songs is Rescue the Perishing. One of the verses you hardly ever hear is the third verse. It says, down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that were broken can vibrate once more. We have the ability to be a blessing. We can do... Everybody has a cell phone. You know how easy it is to send a text. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm thankful for you. I, I got six or seven texts this afternoon said, we missed you. The preaching was better than when you're here, but we still missed you. <laughs> Such an encouragement. Write a note. Think of somebody who's been a blessing to you. Just send them a note. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you appreciate them. Tell them that they've been an encouragement and a help to you. You know, everybody likes a pat on the back. Everybody likes to know that their life has been worthwhile to some degree. Laban said, Jacob, I don't want you to go. And I've been blessed because you're here. I've been blessed because of you. Why don't we determine to do what we can do to just be a blessing to others? Karen had surgery on her foot several months ago, and the doctor told her while it was healed, he said, now, be careful to walk properly. She's in one of these ski boots like several of you have around here. And uh, he said, make sure you walk properly. You're going to put stress on the other foot. And I, I saw her limp, and I said, Karen, you better walk right. And she goes, it hurts. I said, yeah. But, well, she didn't listen to her doctor. She didn't listen to me. And she got a stress fracture in the other foot. Everybody says to me, what would you do to her? <laughs> it wasn't me. But people started calling and said, can we bring a meal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we got lots of meals, and her foot got better. And then for our Easter service, she's trying to invite our neighbor. She made some banana bread, and she's taking it over to invite them, tripped on their sidewalk and fell and broke her elbow and had to have surgery. And people started calling. 
said, can we bring food? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Doctor said she can't cook, so we're in trouble. <laughs> I can, but I'm not going to. I can't tell you what a blessing it was. We, we, we didn't ask for that. But people just out of a sense of kindness. Now I realize being the pastor, you, you get that kind of notice. But you know everybody needs to be blessed. Everybody needs to be encouraged. So bake some brownies. Bake some cookies. And just give it to somebody for no other reason than the fact that you want to be a blessing to them. You know what would be great? Is if we decided every single week, I am going on purpose to be a blessing to somebody. It's not that hard. We can do it. Remember when I started the sermon, I was talking about selfishness. We don't want to be selfish, but we get so caught up in our activities, so caught up in our responsibilities, so caught up in our business that we forget about other people. I tell our staff all the time, I said, your ministry is not why you're here. The people are why you're here. And so let's be focused on people. Very simply, determine once a week, I'm going to do something for somebody to be a blessing. The smallest child to the oldest church member, we can do that. You say, Brother Hal, this is kind of a weird message to preach in a revival meeting. Well, I really think if we get our mind off of ourselves and start thinking about others, it's going to soften our heart to where all kinds of things are going to take place. But if we're just focused on ourselves, if we're just caught up in our own little world, preaching on anything is going to make no difference. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Laban said, I don't want you to go. I've been blessed because of you. I want you to be the kind of person that other people say, I have been blessed because of you. Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to preach this message. Lord, I'm not sure exactly why you laid it on my heart, but I know that you did. And so I pray, dear God, that we might determine to be a blessing. Lord, when that happens, we, we bless others, but we the givers are blessed. Jesus himself told us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so, Lord, tonight I pray you'd soften our hearts. I pray you'd help us to take our mind off of our own situation, our own struggles, our own burdens, our own heartaches, our own problems. And for a little bit, think about others. Father, bless the invitation, real simple invitation tonight. How many of you say, Brother Hal, 